this is Joe and TJ with another episode of our One Thing series. Our desire is that our One Thing series truly helps you to lead better and grow faster. Every month on our podcast, we feature a great guest always on the topic of leadership and we blast it out to you from the schoolhouse302.com. Thank you, TJ. Please share this with other leaders you know that are looking and craving to get better. Thank you. Okay, welcome. So here we are with our guest, John Hitler. Thank you for being here, John. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be here. This month, we are focused on the importance of self-responsibility and getting great results. And we're thrilled that John could be here with us. Our podcast features a great leader who provides key insight into our leadership topic for a particular month. This month, we wanted to hone in on motivation and uncover better ways to encourage peak performance. TJ and I were inspired by your book, The Motivation Trap, and your work in general. So much of your work speaks to the authentic leadership and understanding what truly motivates people genuinely for better results. So we truly appreciate your insight into that topic. TJ, why don't you tell us a little bit more about John? Sure, Joe. Uh, Our guest this month is John Hitler. John specializes in creating seemingly impossible outcomes, whether transforming a struggling team to become the top performer or engaging an audience with his playful, interactive, life-changing style. His belief is simple. We are each endowed with one unique genius, different than any other person on the planet. John uses his genius to create seemingly impossible outcomes. John runs Evoking Genius, a transformational business coaching company working primarily one-to-one with CEOs to grow exponentially. John is also a father to seven kids with six sets of DNA, happily married, competitive athlete, world's worst tango dancer, those are his words, health freak, and avid learner. Okay, John, let's talk about this idea of the performance trap and some of the mistakes that leaders make when trying to motivate their employees. In your book, you cover an array of methods and you describe the power of the pilot light, a continuously burning light that represents value and purpose as key to ensuring everyone understands and knows the vision. That really hit home for us. Can you tell us more about that um, and about common methods of motivation, why they fail in organizations? and what you offer that, that might be better, a more viable long-term method to motivation. Uh, we want to hear anything that you might say about leadership and motivating your team. That's great. Well, Joe and TJ, you guys deal with this with guests all the time. I think the real question is, you know, how is it that super smart, talented people underachieve over time? And in working with CEOs mostly, what they tell us a lot, in their biggest challenges is they'll tell us, I just don't know how to keep my people motivated on a day-to-day basis. And for me, I kind of want to puke on my shoes because I think, (laughs) why are you, why did you enter into uh, an energetic contract where you were in charge of making Joe and TJ highly motivated to get through the morning? And then they go out for lunch and have a bitch session and come back and then you got to motivate them again in the afternoon. It's exhausting. It's a full-time job and it's exhausting. And it means you're not being a CEO. It means you're being a daycare director. Um, 
so this this idea of the pilot light you think of when you're making um, stew or soup you have the you have the burner on really 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 low and it's consistent and you cap it and it cooks really well if you wanted to get it uh, the stew ready faster you wouldn't turn it to high it would just burn out it would burn the pan it would wreck the stew the meat wouldn't tenderize it doesn't it's the wrong tool to go high heat low heat high heat low heat turn it off because it's no a constant pilot light like purpose or intention or uh, some people call it intrinsic motivation or there's all kinds of tools that work really well as a pilot light because what you really need is you need people connected to that constant source of energy as opposed to I didn't have a good commute coming in today. Somebody gave me the finger and there was extra traffic. So I need extra motivation this morning. That's a terrible equation. Thank you, John. Um, I think people truly understand and can resonate with all of the different issues that can derail people from wanting to be peak performers. And do you see, or can you explain how CEOs not only can keep that pilot that light going um, and tying it to their purpose, their values, but not necessarily ignore those realities. So what, what are the strategies that they can use, practically speaking, to keep it aligned to that intrinsic motivation, keep it aligned to that purpose and be intentional versus some of these things like the character stick that we know don't last um, and also knowing human nature, how people do have bad days. Um, are there very specific strategies that you can tell us um, that we can walk away with and say, you know what, that makes a lot of sense. Sure. Well, let's say the three of us, TJ, Joe, and John, we're going to start a company. The, the company objectives, the company values, the company purpose could be one thing. Now, TJ's got his own individual values, his own individual life purpose. John has his and Joe has his. Doesn't mean that each of our three individual highest values and our life purpose can't roll up quite nicely and collaborate and coordinate with the company's purpose. That's a hiring issue. If, if, mm. uh, if we're uh, Peace, Love and Happiness Incorporated, in the hiring process, we should weed out cannibals or we should uh, weed out ax murderers because the values <laughs> won't ever align. But the truth is most people have positive and reasonable values that you say, you know what, we're all, about, uh, we're all about peace, love, and happiness, and you're all about making a difference. Ah, making a difference is different than peace, love, and happiness, but, the, but the, they'll, they'll nicely coexist and, and coordinate. So the simplest thing is to figure out what people's individual values are and tie them directly to the company's purpose and values. It, it begs the question, though, and we deal with this a lot, a lot of companies have um, they have uh, either ex what we call expected values or they have fortune cookie values. I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, I'll rattle off a couple of these. Oh, we're all, all about honesty. Oh, we're big on integrity. Oh, we're big on loyalty. The trick is you, me, and everybody else on the planet, at least in the United States, let's say, if we're not honest, we cannot keep a job. We cannot keep friends because no friend will deal with you lying to them. 
and you can't keep a lifelong relationship like with a with a spouse or a, a partner because dishonest people don't last so there's no there's no reason to have a uh, value that says we're all about honesty because it's a it's table stakes it's an expected value so the first thing is to clean up the company values we're big advocates of what we call a one focus value and i'll give you an example um, a one focus value is that you have one directive that is your entire culture. I'll give you, give you a couple of them. We have a gaming company in Silicon Valley that's one of our clients. What they realized, uh, they did one game and they sold it and it was a fuster clock. The culture was a fuster clock. Um, my nice language. Uh, <laughs> the second time around, now they made a ton of money because they sold it but they wanted to do a second version. They said, we want to avoid all that mess of the culture. And we worked for two days, we went off site and they said, you get one, one uh, directive or one value that dictates everything. Very difficult to do, very powerful. Here's what they came up with. Do the best work of your life. That's the entire cultural mandate, the entire purpose, the entire mandate, because if, you come to work every day and the requirement and the promise from you, the requirement of the company and the promise from you is to do the best work of your life. And oh, by the way, you want to get better at producing games and designing and art and all that other stuff that goes into gaming. You will love coming to work and it will be very challenging every day and you'll love that it's challenging. If on the other hand, you want to mail it in and get a paycheck for uh, wasting time every day or playing on the internet, you'll be miserable and it's gonna show really quickly. So the one directive core value solves every problem they have. Oh, that's interesting. Now, if that were the value and the three of us applied to this new company and, it, we, and we were required to do the best work of our life, one of the three of us might get knocked out because our values don't really fit. And that's a good thing because you avoid a mess. Companies don't do that very well. They have what are called expected values and they sound great. We're all about integrity. We're all about collaboration. We're all out of the box thinking. We're all team player. You can rattle them off left and right and they don't mean very much. So that's a, that's a simple way for a leadership team to clean up uh, their motivation problem is to say align authentic values or I would, I would recommend a one directive culture to the individual values of each of the team players. Because if there's a fit, and it's not hard to find fits, uh, you, you'll solve most of the problems with anybody showing up and not doing good work. Even on days when you have a tough commute and somebody flips you off and you're late, you'll show up and get to work because you can't, you can't not. You say, I'm in a bad mood. I'm not, I'm not 100% because I've got a cold. And let's get to it. This is, this is, what, this is what I want to do. I, I love to do what I do. I'll, I'll snap myself out of it instead of somebody having to carrot and stick me. Yeah, what a noble idea to be restored and rejuvenated when you get to work versus right. it draining you. Or yes. being oppressive. Where yeah. You say, oh my God, I'm, I'm five minutes late because it was a four car pile up on the freeway and I know it's going to happen. My manager's going to bust my chops as soon as I walk in the door. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> yeah. Not very fun. And you say, you know what? I wish I would have just worked from home today because my manager's a pain in the but I don't want to do that. Yeah. Instead of, don't worry about it. I'll get my work done today. I'll, I'll do the best work of my life. Uh, 
if I have to stay late to get that done, but you know, um, there's a lot of one directive cultures that um, they solve 99% of all of your problems proactively. And if people don't like it, they will say, I don't really want to work there. Good. You, you solve the problem even in hiring because they know why they're coming to work and they know the rules of engagement when they're at work. So, yeah, my own, I, I, I have two rules, love the work and love the people. And so for me, that, that, that the work part is easy. I either love what I'm doing or I don't take on the work. And the people includes clients, vendors, partners, contractors, I contract out work. If I don't love them, I will not work with them. And it doesn't mean there's anything wrong with them. I'm just avoiding a problem up front. And the problem could be me. I could be left and they are right, or I could be upside down and they are right side up. And you just say, it's not a good fit. We won't love working together. Let's not do this. Fantastic. Fantastic, John. Can't thank you enough for that. The one directive is very powerful. We're, we're going to switch off to our five one thing series leadership questions but that is precisely what we needed to hear. Um, education is riddled um, our industry with a lot of like massive plans that yeah. are like books and books and, and just pages and pages that nobody reads. Even worse, they have big mission statements and vision statements and they don't mean anything because a mission statement in education Tell me the last university who has not put in their brochure, we're striving for academic excellence. <laughs> what you want to say is, wait a minute, I just saw the uh, I just saw the Forbes rankings or the Wall Street Journal rankings. You're number one fifty six <laughs> in college universities. You're strut. You are you are squarely in mediocrity. So why why <laughs> like we're striving for academic excellence? Because you would never say, you know what, we're just trying to get overpriced. Uh, mediocre students who don't need financial aid to pay full fare. That's what they should say because that's really what they're all about. They're selling a mediocre product to mediocre students who can afford it. Ah, that's different. And everybody already knows that. So yeah, yeah education's not the only place, but a lot of places get stuck in this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Nobody cares. Nobody cares your mission because you'll never hit it anyhow. Wow. Thank you, John. We, the, we, TJ and I are big fans of candor and we, we love your candor. So let, let's switch off to the five one thing. These are designed really as nuggets for our listeners uh, to lead better and grow faster. Who is one person or group who you follow for either knowledge or inspiration and where could we find them? Sure. Um, the guy I like the best probably for that, his name is Shane Parrish with two R's in the middle. He's a Canadian. Uh, he runs a, a think tank called Farnham Street. And what he does every Sunday morning, I get an email with what he does is he reads 300 or 400 books a year and he, tr- he, he scours the internet every week. He does a podcast once a week with a, with a very, very interesting guest and he publishes um, what he calls the knowledge product or brain, brain food is what he calls Sunday morning. You get five very quick things that he learned or connected this week. Four of the five are interesting enough that I spend one minute to get his synopsis and I don't have to read everything that he reads. So he kind of does that work for you. And then he gives you all the source material. So if you want to dig in more, he, he tells you where he found it. If you don't, you just kind of say, oh, isn't that interesting that this is connected to this and I would have never known that. So he's, he's kind of my secret 
secret guy and he's not so secret. He's probably got uh, 250,000 people uh, that he distributes the email and a uh, very, very bright guy, no nonsense, and he knows his stuff. That's very cool. Shane Parrish, we'll link back to that in the show notes. John, thank you for sharing that. It sounds a lot like Tim Ferriss's Five Bullet Friday, which we enjoy. What's yes. one thing from that as a follow-up, like just to give the guests a little bit more of a granular idea, what's one thing that recently had piqued your interest or something that he had brought to the knowledge uh, product that you found um, important? Yeah, it's, uh, I listened to one of the podcasts yeah, probably three weeks ago, he interviewed uh, Annie Duke. She's a World World Series of Poker's champion, female fo- uh, professional poker player, one of the best in the world. And she wrote a book called Thinking in Bets. Mm-hmm. And what she does with her kids that she learned from poker, and it, it translates perfectly to business or to, to education, is when when her kids say, I think I'm ready for the spell test, she'll say, ready is kind of pass fail like you're a hundred percent ready really and so she she makes them quantify if you had to uh if you had to bet your time on video games this week as the as the qualifier are you a hundred percent sure you can get all the spelling words right or are you 67 percent sure or are you 52 and and she has them um assess and back up their assessment in percentage terms so that so as to set expectations because if they're not quite ready she already knows from helping them practice their school words that they're good on 17 of them there's 20 spelled ones they're good on 17 but three they don't have at all so does that mean they're 85 because because 17 out of 20 they're pretty good or does that really mean they're generally confident but they're probably really they're at 72 or 73 she has her kids assess this but imagine you're making decisions in your your school budgets or your curriculum or your hiring or firing of a teacher. Is it a hundred percent confident that we should hire, fire this person? Or is it, huh, you know what? I'm not a hundred percent sure that we should fire them for this or their performance. I'm not a hundred percent sure that their performance was terrible. I'm 58% sure of it. it. It's a more interesting and well-grounded discussion when people are more, um, when they have to defend how sure they are because we speak in absolutes and life isn't absolute. We can always be surprised for all kinds of reasons. Uh, very interesting. There's a whole science behind it. And she explains it on the podcast. It was really interesting because she was talking about it in poker and then flipped it to her kids. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. It's the same framework with kids and business and school and anything you ever have to do. So that's really, really cool. Um, what's awesome for our listeners is they really got three nuggets there. Uh, they got to know about Shane Parrish. They got this, uh, the book, Thinking in Bets. And then this decision-making model, quantifying your readiness. That's super, super cool. So I'm going to pivot to the next question. What's the one thing that people should try to do on a regular basis that might make a difference in their day or life? Uh, that's an easy one. It's what I'll call top one, top three. And that is the way to end your day. So the way to end today is to spend three to five minutes. That's all. Look at what either didn't get done today and is going to roll over tomorrow or what you've got on your calendar or your agenda for tomorrow. And take the assumption that you only get, 
you only get to get one thing done tomorrow. And we'll call it your top one. By definition, your top one equals a good day tomorrow. Like if that's all you got done tomorrow, that would be a good day. That's your top one. And then because out of the goodness of TJ's heart, we'll say, we'll give you two more. So you get a two and a three. So you get top one equals a great day. And then you get a top two and a top three. If all you ever did on a daily basis, 200 work days a year, is hit your top three, you would move mountains because it keeps you away from the 80 little inconsequential things that you could probably get 60 of them done that don't make much difference at all. Yeah, that's powerful, John. We're, we're fans of uh, Morton Hansen's work, and he you know, has that phrase of do less and obsess. And when you were just speaking about the one top three, which I've never heard it phrased like that, but that just rung true in my own head, which is just tough. You know, it's just tough to get to that. But I love that very practical strategy. Thank you. Well, well imagine, imagine tomorrow you have your biggest presentation of the year, whether at school or at work or, or your student. And, oh, by the way, it's your spouse's birthday. It's a perfect example because you say, my top one, for the day, even though I have my biggest presentation of the year, my top one is to honor and celebrate my, in my case, my wife's birthday. Because if I don't do that, that's a disaster. I'm going to pay for that for the next six months. So my top one, is <laughs> now, we've all done a bad job of that, an anniversary or birthday or a special occasion. My top one is actually nothing to do with business. Or let's say you got off a trip from us, you were in a sales trip to four countries in Europe and it's your first day back. Your top one is, should be something around hydration, maybe getting in a workout, a, a full night's sleep, kind of getting back on track. It shouldn't be that you fill your day with uh, a ton of conference calls where you're gonna be half asleep on the wrong time zone and your back is sore from being in an economy seat coming back from Frankfurt. It's, it, it's all relative to what you have going on. And so it could, the, the top one doesn't have to be quote unquote productive as it has to be, this would equal a good day. If I honor and celebrate my wife's birthday, starting with a card under her pillow, breakfast in bed, a single rose, it could be a thousand things. It could be checking in during the day and then I take her out for a nice dinner. Guess what? That's a great day for her. It's a great day for me and it's a great day for us. And the alternative is not very attractive at all because she's going to be pissed. And, I, and even if I walk in and say, honey, you'll never believe it. I nailed it in my big presentation. And she'll say, yeah, but did you forget something? No, I got everything in the presentation right. I, I didn't forget anything in the presentation. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, forget, you forget anything else? <laughs> no, that hits home, John. It's, it's funny you bring this up. Um, just today, pack day, love being on the interview, um, a big night tonight, but my son turned 16 today, and, and by everything, I had to move mountains to make sure he got his license and get him to the DMV, That's but it speaks awesome. directly to what you're saying. Right. I could not miss, and it only took an hour, but right. it was one of those things you had to do. Well, and when he, when he talks to people about, hey, hey uh, how soon did you get your license? When he's 30, he'll say, ah. Oh, couldn't, it was awesome. I got it on my 16th birthday. My dad got, picked me up from school. We got, we went down, took the test. I, I screwed up this thing a little bit, but they still gave me my license. It was awesome. And other people say, oh, I didn't get it until I was like 17 and a half because I was disorganized and I just didn't want to take driver's ed. 
whatever the story is, but that's actually part of the story. That's a big milestone day. You screwing that up is not a good, even if it gets it the next day. Nobody wants to tell the story about how they got it when they were 16 and one day because yep. the dad couldn't get there on time. That's a bad story. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. What's one thing that you want to know or be able to do that you don't already? Uh, I'll tell you what I'm looking forward to doing, and I don't have the guts yet to do it. Um, Tucker Max. You may know Tucker. Um, he wrote, he's got four New York Times bestselling books. They don't serve beer in hell and sloppy seconds and a whole bunch. But he's moved on from all that stuff. He wrote a great article, and I know Tucker, about um, trauma therapy. The basic theory is, let's say, in my, in my generation, in our household, in our culture growing up, if you did something wrong, you got a spanking. But imagine the construct of that. You're five years old, and you break something, and you get a spanking. That's people who are supposed to be in, in your favor and your care. They're twice your size physically, and they, they hit you with a piece of wood. At five years old, your brain cannot take that, like emotionally. You don't know how to process that. So the theory is you just bury it because you can't process it. Um, and Tucker introduced this notion as a 42-year-old male of doing PTSD trauma therapy, not knowing what the trauma was. The theory being you've got a cap on your growth, development, and emotional um, capacity because you still have unprocessed or co confused, if you will, my language energy stuck in your system. So I'm actually investigating that and looking forward to doing something like that. My last name is Hitler. So you can just imagine some of the trauma that went around with that with teasing and the teasing I didn't care, but I was in a fight every other day of my life uh, because kids would come and pick on you and they were always twice my size and you had to fight your way or run your way out of it. I, I know there's something there, even though I, I live a fabulous life, I'm joyful and grateful most days, but imagine, there's a lid that I don't know what it consists of. And the idea is that you do this. Uh, there's a whole process. You can do it through hypnosis. You can do it. And people are doing it through uh, MDMA, Molly. Some people do it through um, uh, spiritual or silent retreats. There's all kinds of, but I'm investigating that with the anticipation that it will open up uh, a new level of um, performance and enjoyment of life because you'd essentially clean out or process um, stuck energy from probably when you, you have no memory, no conscious memory or way to, um, to deal with the, the trauma at the time. So it's, it's a very odd one. Uh, it's becoming more, I suspect that's the sort of thing that everybody and their brother will do five years from now. But I've read a little bit about it. And the more I think about it, it's very much in the work I do. I do a lot of energy work. I got to imagine there's some stuck energy there because parents weren't very progressive when I was a little kid. If you did something wrong, you got smacked. You got smacked. <laughs> and I went to Catholic school too. If you got, if you did anything wrong in Catholic school, they, they hit you like with a ruler or whatever. It was all about corporal punishment and that can't be uh, emotionally, psychologically or energetically appropriate for a little kid to handle. So uh, yeah. 
No, I was just going to say thank you for sharing that. I think it's important. Um, it's important work, and you you are right that it's surfacing to the top of a lot of the literature and a lot of uh, what will probably be progressive um, now, but then mainstream in the future. So it's kind of cool that you're bringing that up. Trauma therapy is something that we talk about for kids, but it's a it's a whole different arena for adults to uncover what is living in the unconscious on a day to day basis. So really cool. Tim Ferriss is a big proponent as well. There's a, a, a uh, it's becoming a very popular movie called Trip of Compassion, mm-hmm. and it's literally a drug trip because they're realizing that some of these um, in pharmaceutical quality grades, there are some recreational drugs that, if they're in pharmaceutical quality, can treat PTSD for especially military vets much better than either leaving it untreated or trying to do um, counseling because the counseling isn't it, it doesn't allow the body to heal as well. It's too slow. And so they put them uh, on purpose under hallucinogenics and then you deal with it in an enhanced state. It's an interesting concept, uh, certainly a little bit controversial because the drugs are, let's say they may be ethical, but they're currently not legal. So do you do something that's ethical, uh, but not legal? I, yeah, I'll deal with all that stuff as I'm investigating it right now, but I will. I will do something like that in the next year. I'll just have to choose my, uh, my methodology. Very interesting to hear that. And um, I, w- w- what Tim Ferriss talks about is like the need for a guide and the need for support while you do it. So we'd yes. love to hear back from you when, when you figure that out. So very cool. And thanks for sharing. Our next question is what's one thing that led to or continues to support your growth as a leader that others might be able to replicate? This, you know, the simplest and it's counterintuitive is physical, um, I'll call them healthy habits, but having to do with the body that I do on a daily basis. I notice when I'm a competitive athlete and the more that I'm uh, not stringent, but um, uh, striving in my performance as an athlete, and basically that's just hard workouts and good eating full night's sleep, the right supplements. When I'm really good with that, it's amazing how that transfers really, really well into business. Because I notice I coach better, I sell better, I lead better, I manage better, I coordinate better, I collaborate better, I think better. Because the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. Mm-hmm. And when, I'm, when I notice I start, I start best with my body. I also meditate, I do all that kind of stuff. But I've tried it starting with spiritual and have it uh, go to go, if you will, spirit, body, mind. I'm better when I start with the physical. So when I get up in the morning and physically I'm active, even if I don't work out first thing, I've got habits around my taking really good care of my body. Um, I don't drink and it's not because I'm a teetotaler. I'm a, I'm any kind of religious views. I just don't drink because it's not healthy for me. Great. Perfect. Uh, but it starts with physical habits. And that's, that translates really, really well into my business success. It's powerful. It's powerful, John. And, you know, you touch on, and we've heard from a lot of different people who have to incorporate some level of physical activity into their day. But I really like how you just described how it starts with the physical to lend itself into every other aspect of your life. And when that's right, you're right. Um, It's a powerful message. Um, 
So our, our fifth and final question, what's the one thing that you used to think that you don't think anymore? That's a good one. Uh, probably I would say that people change. I used to think that people change. And more and more, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm get off my front lawn. I don't think I am, but maybe I am. The more I look at it, the more I think, you know what? You take the president. Oh, that's funny. He's been doing president-worthy president crap his whole life. That's funny. You're right. He, you're right. He's cheated on his wife forever. Oh, yeah, that's right. He's done bankruptcy multiple times. Oh, yeah, that's right. He, he ran a university that didn't exist. Oh, yeah. Has he changed? No. No, he's a good example. I, I, uh, I don't want to talk politics, but you look at people that have been the same their whole life. Um, another good example. More, I just canceled my Facebook account about six months ago, and people say, how can you how can you do everybody's on Facebook? And I said, you know what? The more they do data breaches and then pretend like it's a surprise when it's really clear that they knew that they released 500,000 emails or 500,000 passwords or whatever, it's not surprising. Isn't that a different form of screwing the Winklevi out of the initial ownership of what was going to be a monster corporation? The guy running it hasn't changed a bit. It's just circumstances. He's, he's, a, he's a wheeler dealer that does stuff secretly and then doesn't apologize when he gets caught. Ah, he hasn't changed a bit. It's the same guy. And I used to think, oh, no, people, people change. They learn, they go, they be. And it is possible. But the more I'm around it, the more I see, huh, for better or for worse, if you were bold as a kid, chances are you're bold as an adult. If you were a clown as a kid, chances are you've got a good sense of humor and you're a little bit of a clown as an adult. Some of that's really positive. But the downside as well, uh, it's interesting how I'm more in the camp now that people really don't change. I used to think, oh, yeah, people change, and I want to believe that. And the more I look, I go, hmm, me too. I kind of look at it and say, huh, you know what? I've been, I've been a rabble rouser and kind of a, uh, a uh, rabble rousers of play, wait a second, let's say that. My whole life, I've always been that way. Uh, I was the kid that was in trouble at school all the time for standing up for stuff that I shouldn't have or picking a fight with the administration when I'm a seventh grader. And you go, don't do that. Why, why you do? I mean, I punched my seventh grade teacher in the face. Well, because he called my best friend the N-word. Oh, uh, should I have punched him in the face? No. Should he have called my friend the N-word? Nope. Guess what? If you, if you go after one of my friends, you're going you're, you're gonna to deal with me directly. I haven't changed since seventh grade. I'm that same guy. Is that good or is that bad? The answer is probably yes. It's, it, it is what it is. I haven't changed much either. And I think, huh, that's funny. I haven't changed since seventh grade, which probably means I hadn't changed since second grade. No, sorry, third grade when I took, called one of my nun teachers a witch for locking a girl in the broom closet because she was having a panic attack. <laughs> and, you know, should I have called her a witch? No. Did I get my mouth washed out with soap by the by the other nun who was the principal? Yes, because you don't call, in a Catholic school when you're in third grade, you don't call a nun a witch. But I, I, it was the only word I could think of. Uh, I said, what are you, some kind of a witch? <laughs> she locks a kid who's hysterical and crying in the closet and locks the door. Now she's hysterical, claustrophobic, and in the dark because she didn't know how to settle her down. Crazy. And I, I just, okay, 
I know who I am. If somebody's picking on somebody or doing something mean to somebody, I will stand up. And if that gets me in trouble, have I changed since third grade? No, that probably means I haven't changed since birth. Okay, good. <laughs> so I used to think people change. I'm more and more in the camp of myself included. Yeah, for the most part, we don't change. It does lend itself to a conversation about self-reflection and digging deeper to know yourself. Even if those, those changes aren't going to occur, you can kind of explain them um, in a way that fits your personality and your current circumstances. So thank yeah. you for sharing that. Um, and so that concludes our interview, John. Uh, you gave us a lot to think about, lots of strategies, um, some keys to leadership. We always say that it might be complex, but it doesn't have to be complicated. Is there anything else that you would like to add, John, for today's listeners? Um, play boldly. That's the only thing I'd like to add. When people play boldly, the world's a better place. Well, we certainly agree with that. There you have it, another great podcast. Don't forget to follow our blog at theschoolhouse302.com for blog posts, podcasts, and video blogs all on the topic of leadership. And we hope you enjoyed our One Thing series on how leaders can motivate their teams, be self-responsible, and much, much more with John Hitler. John, thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me.